0: The gain that you get in a particular month to achieve something like artificial, like we're trying to you know, deliver a number in a particular quarter or month, it's not the gain that you want about positioning the company long-term, right? And doing what's best to safely build a relationship with another company that we both can operate in solid ground where you know it's not a risky contract because these things you'll pay for eventually, someone will pay for it, right? It may not be the frontline people but someone will pay for it.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Vishal Sunak. He's the founder and CEO of Link Squares. And in our conversation today, we dive into an important topic, certainly one I feel is important for sales teams, and that is one that's often overlooked it's contract lifecycle management. I mean, I'm a big fan of having contract departments and sales, especially in high-growth companies. So We're going to explore why it's important to be able to write better contracts and better agreements faster. We dig into why companies often truly don't understand what's in their agreements that they sign and why that's a problem and how to avoid that trap. We also get into why contract management departments are such an essential function, both from a strategic and a tactical standpoint, and as I mentioned before, why too few growth companies are investing in them. Before we get to Vishal, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback on how we're doing with a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Vishal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So where have you been sheltering during all this uh, pandemic?
0: Uh, just, just north of Boston uh, with, with my wife and uh, my two-year-old.
1: Wife and two-year-old. So where, where precisely? What town? Oh, in uh, in uh, Winchester, Winchester. Okay, I think I've been through there. So, uh, question for you is: So, what's the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself personally during the pandemic?
0: I enjoy working from home. <laughs> it's hard to <laughs> it's it's hard to admit that. Yeah, I've I've only known life uh, with my work inside of an office primarily, but. Um, I think being a founder, also, uh, I have worked at home a lot, right, at nights and weekends and such things to to drive the business forward. And and uh, I actually don't hate it uh, now that we've been doing it for like six months. Uh, kind of finding mechanisms and and ways to communicate and stay in touch with folks that need me and when I need information and how do we go get it. But uh, generally, I think it's been a net positive experience. Uh, I, I like kind of being around been around my my wife and and my my 2-year-old little girl sure. too and you know steal a moment here or there and and uh you know read a book to her or do a puzzle or something it's fun you know it's it's not so bad
1: so is that net positive for you or for the company or both
0: <laughs> I, I the 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 company has done well in a remote environment though it to it t- you know it definitely took some refactoring especially like in our sales and, and success teams about how they how they're going to you know figure out how to Drive the company the way they wanted to, uh but yeah, I mean I think I think largely net positive for for all
1: and so do you contemplate going back or is like yeah you know shopify we're just not going back
0: uh we're we're already back uh we optionally kind of decided that uh for folks that need uh, better working environments uh that if they feel comfortable, uh our office is available in kind of like a depersonalized rented desk type of experience and uh, we've been doing it for a couple weeks now, and and it's been it's been met with positivity for those that have, have gone in and and kind of thinking about our our employee base at all kind of different ages and thinking about maybe the younger folks who who got into like a a smaller apartment or a, a couple roommates uh, and maybe they thought they'd only really be home for six or seven hours <laughs> and they're they're thinking about a world where they're now at home for twenty four hours and. Uh Some of them have felt like it 's a breath of fresh air and and uh others are are kind of more comfy and secure at home and and don't want to make it to our office but we're definitely trying to do everything to accommodate uh everyone in in the kind of the sixty ish employees that we have and and everyone who is in different environments
1: so what have you done physically in the offices to yeah set it up to yeah make people feel safe?
0: Yeah, well, the state of Massachusetts and Boston specifically have done a great job kind of providing guidance on kind of what the definition of safe is. So, you know, kind of taking that taking that advice first and foremost, right, with PPE available and, and hand sanitizing, and uh, we, we've got a check-in system. Uh, we're, we're using some cloud-based kind of tools that you can understand. Uh, desks that are available and uh, and and the other thing we had to do was really take one big sweeping arm across the office and depersonalize it like kind of remove the notion that this is my desk right it's anyone's right. desk and kind of you know set it up differently and and take the guidance on conference rooms and 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 how how those are going to work and and uh set kind of limits there uh based on the guidance but yeah we 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 did all that uh and then tried tried it out and And uh, it's it's been a positive overall positive experience. Definitely seeing um, different efficiencies. Uh, So yeah, we we like it, and we'll we'll keep going until it makes sense, or stop it if it makes sense to stop it.
1: And this is a purely random question, but so as as a CEO, what do you have to do differently from a liability standpoint?
0: Yeah, working with our working with our our, our legal team and and kind of figuring out a way to kind of do it safely. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of precedent in in Boston itself. And there's, there are a lot of companies that are open now, um, kind of in the same environment. So it, it was easy to find. It was easy to find kind of best practices uh, in terms of like what we do with employees and and how mm-hmm. do we message it, how do we keep them safe. So yeah, we worked with our legal team on that, but not, no heavy lift there. Okay.
1: Well, good luck on that, because um, I, I mean, this is you know, it's a question that a lot of companies are going to be confronting. Probably had plans going back in January, and that may be too optimistic, perhaps, given everything that's going on outside. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about Link Squares and what you
0: do. Yeah, we're 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 changing the way that uh, co- companies uh, think and, and work around contracts and all, all different types of contracts, be it sales contracts or partnership or marketing or, or NDAs or, or whatever it is. And, and we're, we're charged with the mission of creating an experience where both before a document is signed and after a document is signed, you, you can gain valuable information and just overall have a better process uh, and, and more efficiency uh, to ultimately Champion uh, a legal person, a person who works on a legal team at a at a company, to uh, kind of remove the negative connotation that they may be a bottleneck or slow or inefficient, and and create the suite Heaven of tools forbid. that <laughs> create the suite of tools <laughs> that uh, enable them to supercharge and and drive their business forward.
1: Now, at the same time, is this. A collaboration based tool as well, so that you know if a salesperson is yeah, you know, trying to close a deal that that they collaborate on this document with the, the
0: customer? Uh yeah, we, we think a collaboration internal today. Uh and mm-hmm. and we have two products. One is a pre-signature product that's called Finalize. And finalize is really built around kind of speed of of review amongst a company, speed of review. Uh, In collaboration internally, yeah, to to kind of drive the outcome. Uh, That ultimately means a document can be signed uh, with greater efficiency, greater visibility, self-service type of actions that enable uh, folks to use things like approved templates when drafting documents, and then managing kind of the process of receiving red lines, receiving third-party paper. Uh, Yeah, so so we look at collaboration inside the company, uh, first and foremost. And one of the things
1: you you talk about in on your website is that the idea is to write better contracts faster. So terms like that always make me want to dig in. So what's what's a better contract?
0: Yeah, a better a better contract is is one that it maybe started from an approved template. So you use the right version. That's already better than a contract that you accidentally sent out the wrong version that was, you know, two mm. revisions ago. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a better contract is a contract that uh, had buy-in from your head of information security. If you were buying a tool, or product, a vendor, a vendor product that is connecting to your customer data and creating, I don't know, analytics or something like that, right? right. And and you have the buy-in from uh, someone who could vet vet a, a contract and 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 give their seal of approval on it. Uh, a better a better contract is also one that uh, you can look back historically easily, kind of find you know where things deviated and changed. Uh, a better contract is one that uh, the the people who run the company run these contract creation, negotiations, execution, and then all the way through kind of obligation and understanding what was actually agreed to uh, mm-hmm. can have access to that information, right? So it's really, a better contract starts with how you create it, but it ends with how you kind of manage it and, and manage to the obligation and the risk that's inside it. Now, for the most part,
1: you know, smaller tech companies, startups and so on, don't have legal departments, but so who are you selling to? Is it just to companies that have legal departments or is it companies that have contract management departments? I mean, who's who's the buyer within your clients?
0: Yeah, a pretty good signal that you're a company that's kind of achieved uh, a level in which you've invested in a senior type of position, like through a general counsel or, or a chief legal officer. Uh, that that's a pretty good indication that you could be a good fit, mm-hmm. uh, and and you've probably reached the kind of operational scale where it made sense to bring someone like that in. But we do often see you know smaller companies that have a CFO um, who's kind of charged with with taking this under. Under the wing as well, uh, and and so that also creates good opportunities, because CFOs generally don't come up through like you know contract negotiation; they came up through accounting or FPNA or, so, or something else, right? And so, kind of how, how can we lend ourselves to be useful to both? Yeah, I mean,
1: as I sort of looking into what you're doing and, and thinking about it, it brings back a point that I've talked about fairly frequently, which is I think com Especially smaller companies uh, scaling quickly and so on. One of the, especially if they sell more complex stuff, so it's not a transactional contract, but you know, it's a contract that those could be back and forth with the buyer and so on, is really miss the bet not having a contract management function Mm. in their company. You know, either they you know they outsource it to a legal firm, or to your point, you know, the CFO becomes the quote unquote expert, or maybe even the CRO or somebody. And and I found companies I worked for uh, at senior levels that had this contract management function. Boy, got through contracts much more efficiently. Uh took mm-hmm. say I speak from a sales perspective, take sales largely out of the loop of negotiating contracts, managing contracts, uh, managing, I mean, it's just like, I'm just interested in your experience because it's like, to me, that's such a strategic position. I see so few companies doing it. I think in part because sales thinks, well, hey, we're, we're all great contract negotiators. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, there's much better people to do it than you. Uh, I just wondering what you're seeing out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it really comes down to like, why can't a company easily invest in a better way of working? Right? Uh, Is it a financial constraint? Probably not. I mean, if you have like a law firm that's already kind of charged to help you, right? Charging eight hundred
1: dollars an hour for
0: something, (laughs) right? Yeah, they've already you've already established a relationship where they're in a position to help you. is is it more like there's a perception that if it goes into like the legal or contract or contract review dark hole, I'll never see it again, or I won't see it again uh, at the time frame that I need. So like expectations are not set right, and so there's not enough information about like well I need this contract now versus everyone saying that versus which ones actually you know should be prioritized and how, and then kind of managing the ongoing backlog of of requests right. Uh, and and so why why don't companies invest in it is because there's a perception of all these things right like that that kind of negatively impact uh the the uh hesitation right and 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 sorry i mean it enables the hesitation, but it's easier to kind of accept all on a on a document you know that has changes in it than ask for guidance, but we all know that's not the the right way to work right and so uh, yeah, that's that's a kind of an interesting paradigm, especially in the sales, the the sales world. Now, you know, to the extent that you can prove to your CRO with a great relationship with your general counsel, your contracts team, or even the CFO who's using an outside counsel to help them, don't worry, I got you. Everything will be done. Everything will be done timely. I won't let you down. We'll make all these contracts mm-hmm. winners. And, Checks in the mail. Yeah, I'll make all these. We'll make all these contracts winners. And how do we? How do we build software that can make that that possible? Right. That's that's what I get excited about.
1: Well, and so is that part of the future is what you're looking at is is you know, you, yeah, you do pre-signature with finalize, but as you said, it's sort of an internal thing, is how do you then involve customers in a collaborative effort that facilitates negotiation?
0: Yeah, so so the tool that I think Will continue to remain to be the most important tool for that is Microsoft Word, and to the extent that Microsoft Word, <laughs> to, hey, this is I think this is what a million man hours of time has gone into building Microsoft sure. Word. No, no one will ever dethrone that, uh, and to the extent that you can play in and around Microsoft Word, um, make making that kind of transfer of, of a new version, you know, seamless. I think that. That's where the greatest efficiency gains come. I, I think. I think the change of behavior away from Microsoft Word, though it could gain more efficiency, is just too hard, and uh, too many companies have tried and failed. So uh, th- that's how we look at the world: is that a Microsoft Word file will remain to be opened in Microsoft Word forever?
1: Yeah, but I was just think about it. so your second product, you. Do I finalize? Then you have analyze, which you says you know, powered by AI uh, to help you understand what's in your agreements or this data extraction, full text search. But I'm sort of thinking, well, okay, if you look at the trends within sales, so one of the big things that come up in sort of a revenue operations context is, or enablement context is, yeah, how do I, how do I provide real time guidance to the seller? So that we're in the moment interacting with a prospective buyer mm-hmm. that we can provide guidance right there's guided selling that that's sort of the term that's out there, and I was thinking well josh and in a negotiation standpoint it seems like that would make a lot of sense, right if you were actually negotiating with a a um, a prospect a buyer for you know a contract of certain sorts having that type of tool so that you actually, yeah, you're, you're collaborating on development of, but you're also using the power of all the data that you've had in the past or the contracts you've done to help you do it better.
0: Yeah, that, that's ultimately where the company heads, right? Uh, if you had a thousand master service agreements with all your customers and you know kind of the patterns and the pattern matching of things you've agreed to and and things that are kind of gone out of vogue, and you know, in terms of legal language, uh, and, and things that you're consistently agreeing to, like limitation of liability cap, like damages cap, right? I mean, have you done sure. have you done ten x before? No, we've never done God, it. Have you done, 5X? <laughs> have, you, have you done five x? Have you done five x? You know, infrequently. What you know is it more like one x? Yeah, that's kind of yeah. the normal, right? And so you kind of can build out. This kind of intelligence playbook, where like you're using historical data to help drive, you know, your future, and that's what kind of gets me most excited about. You know, we started the company on the AI journey, right, on the post-signature, where you know we're not even dealing with Microsoft Word documents; we're dealing with PDFs, right. and we're dealing with mostly scanned PDFs, which is you know what was the way, and still is largely the way that documents get signed, right? And so, mm-hmm. how do you get how do you get insights out of documents that you couldn't search? Uh, for you know the last five years because it's been a locked document, right? And and uh, the value that can be added there, but then kind of the value that comes through through insights and benchmarking to essentially drive like smarter decision making. Like I see it all the time. Actually, it's the end of the month. We're I'm probably negotiating eleven contracts right now simultaneously. If I were right. to count, um, right. You know, I see a red line with termination for convenience come in. I know this one, you know, hard no, we have a rule against right. the right hard no termination for convenience, but maybe Absolutely. if I didn't know, could I go and look up how many times I've ever done it? Okay. I've done it 25 times in a thousand docs. And these were all, these are the conditions in which we said yes to it. Uh, well, this is not the condition. So it's really easy. I should say no. Right. And and that's kind of a, a crude example of kind of the power of having historical context. Right. And and kind of what gets us excited about the space.
1: Yeah. Well, I would, Take it even further and say, okay, well, I'm going to combine it with the data I'm driving from Salesforce and say, or CRM, whatever you're using, but we'll say Salesforce, and say, okay, yeah, in those contracts where I gave termination for convenience clause, let's say, or, or you know, I allowed a higher coverage on limitation of liability, I did a 5x instead of you know, one time the value of the contract. Um, what happened? Yeah. You know, how did that correlate to retention rate and renewals? Yeah. and Total contract um, value—all that information seems like it'd be hugely valuable to have in the hands not only of the sellers but also whoever is actually negotiating the contract.
0: Yeah, and then and then if you continue to draw the line and expand and zoom out, like you know, what was their MPS like over time? Like, did it make them happier? Did 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 they stick around and be a customer because they found that that to be valuable, you know? And and how, how did the whole experience go when interacting with you? So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's still largely like a frontier type market. Um, that's how I think about it, right? We're we're just beginning now to to build reliable, accurate AI systems at scale that can actually, you know, <laughs> gather the data. What comes next? That's the foundation. What comes next with insights and recommendations and. You know, true wisdom is, is like, you know, something that you know, gets me out of bed every day to go go solve.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm mean, me from a sales perspective, and and I'm a big advocate that salespeople should not be negotiating contracts. That if and I'll just speak from my own experience, a company I worked for, startups that became very successful, scaled more quickly by getting sales out of the middle of contracts and having professional contract managers yeah. contractual professional contract negotiators, not lawyers necessarily, except for the most complex ones, perhaps. Yep. Um, but yeah, I worked with professional contract managers who were great negotiators. They weren't lawyers, but hugely experienced. They understood the issues. And yeah, if you're trying to scale a sales organization, get the salespeople out of that business. And <laughs> the, more Absolutely. We can, the more we can harness the power of the technology to help us do that, um, yeah. I mean yeah, I <laughs> things would be much better. I know sales has such a personal stake and they all every salesperson thinks they're a great negotiator, or a large fraction of them do, and they actually don't realize they're actually really quite bad at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it it comes back to like, do I trust that, that legal can get it done? Can you make my timeline and expectations right? Can you partner with me on it? Can we collaborate internally? Can we make it a win-win so that I get this? Ultimately, we both want the same thing. We both want to sign a document signed that is both, you know, good for the seller and good for the company, right? And so, if we always lens what's good for the seller and good for the company together, we're both we're both operating from the same viewpoint. And and I think that's when that's when the best. To your point, you know, companies can get made when they're scaling and they're growing quickly. Where that handoff and that 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 pass back and forth can be enabled um, and it, and software can enable it, right? And and to the extent that uh, people invest in them and see the value in, in a better way to work than accepting all on a Microsoft Word red lines and, and saying, I read it and, and I'm, I'm fine with it, uh, you can probably help your company out uh, for the long term, right? And think about what's best for people's quotas and their, and their selling capability, but also what's best for the company. And that's how we always look at it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, multifaceted question. One is, again, if you listen to the show, you know, I'm a big advocate of getting rid of quotas. Uh, other ways to measure that uh, <laughs> more successful to sellers, but also then you don't have this conflict necessarily at the end of the month is like, yeah, we got the pressure to negotiate as you talked about. You've got 11 contracts you're trying to negotiate right now in the last three days of the business month. And, yeah, how does that compromise your decision-making?
0: Yeah, luck, luckily, as a founder of a legal tech company, I have the joy of negotiating against general, contra- uh, general counsels all the time. Uh, so, I've seen everything. I've, I've read everything. I've, I've mm-hmm. seen every kind of document that there is. I never compromise on it, ever. Even if it takes another hour, even if it takes another revision, I never compromise on it. Because I know the the gain that you get in a particular month, right? To to achieve something like artificial, like we're trying to you know deliver a number in a particular quarter or month, uh, it's not the gain that you want about positioning the company long term, right? And and doing what's best to safely you know collect a relate you know I mean build a relationship uh, with another company that we both can can operate in solid ground where you know it's not a risky contract because. These things you'll pay for eventually. Someone will pay for it, right? It may not be the oh, frontline people, that but absolutely. someone will pay for it, right? You'll pay for it with, oh, you know, there's a there's a cure default that you know I'm issuing you a cure, and you have to cure this part of the app that I think is a you know in in violation of, of the warranty or something like that, and right. and then it's like, well, I didn't understand what cure meant and the cure period, and I didn't understand you're issuing me a cure and. Then you right. can terminate the agreement, and then everyone's screwed, right? And so, um, also like investors, and and you know, if you're a company that's positioned to to take on investment or, or be sold one day, you'll pay for all these sins one day in the future, right? If it's not from you know like a termination of a contract, a single point, you'll pay for it in aggregate with bad decision making. Oh, uh, well, yeah. If,
1: <laughs> if you're being acquired, and they go through your contracts and say, <laughs> "That's right." Oh yeah, this is a problem. We don't want to assume this liability. Um,
0: yeah. So yeah, taking can, that out, right? Taking that friction point out where it's like, I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do. I don't care what's best for the company uh, to the to the extent where you can make it easy to do what's best for both folks involved on both sides with the company and the seller. That's a win.
1: Yeah. And obviously, templated agreements uh, that can be easily modified, so on, is is a great a great way to do it. I just fascinated by this idea of uh, be able to correlate it to sales results or revenue numbers and say, okay, yeah, if we've given on this term you know, four times in the past in order to get this deal, we get similar type deals, and yeah, these deals tend to churn more frequently when we do that. So we're better off not giving in on that deal. Yes, we may not hit the number this month, but in the long term, yeah, we've, we're going to do better by finding customers that we don't need it. Yeah, I do think that's that is a great use of of data within the contract framework to say, okay, yeah, how's this actually affect things? How does how's it how have they gone on and performed? Because I, I my personal experience, and we think from you know, it's all anecdotal, but is yeah, a lot of times some of the buyers that were the most difficult on some really obscure terms were the worst customers. Right, They're just <laughs> difficult to deal with after the fact. Um, yeah, I've one, <laughs> one huge agreement I was negotiating with the customer, with my general counsel. But um, yeah, the customer was just hung up on something in our quality standards guide, Right, quality control standards guide. Mean, we were ISO 9000 certified, 9001 certified, uh, and actually we had a higher uh, we sold similar customers. We were ranked higher by those similar customers as a vendor, quality vendor, than they were. But yeah, they were gonna they were gonna fall on their sword on this one. And uh, yeah, it just turned out to be a prob- problematic relationship. You can sort of learn a lot through the negotiation.
0: Oh yeah, you, you definitely learn a lot about about a company and how how they treat you when you're negotiating against them. So
1: yeah, well, I think. Two, though, when you have more and more systems like yours being brought into play that are standardized things, then to some degree you begin to reduce, I think, the amount of negotiation that takes place. I mean, it's always been my, my experience that the more standardized the contract and agreement is, that, and the more you stand on it, as you said, hey, there's some terms we just, hey, this is, this is the agreement, we don't negotiate on that, that actually helps things go faster.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the greatest support that a legal function, a contracts function, can provide to like a revenue organization is like reflecting on places of a terms of service that are constantly getting negotiated. And you're constantly bending on. So, like, why don't you just make the the thing that you're agreeing to in negotiation the standard and start from there, right? If you're already agreeing to it one off, yeah, there's a half a chance that someone, you know, will take a default versus, you know, default kind of language versus Mm -hmm. negotiate it. But like to the extent where you can just say, hey, you know what, we've been comfortable with this 50 times. Why don't we just make this the standard? And then we can all save the headache of seeing it as another red line for the next 500 deals that we do. Right. And I think the greatest kind of way, and it's really hard to do because you're basically asking for like non-standard language to drive a decision to make it your standard language is like really hard to do. Um that's kind of one of the things that you can do in, in our AI product is kind of understand like the non-standard parts of it and and in then your, drive it better. In our analyzed product. In our analyzed product, yeah, and, and kind of drive that kind of outcome where you can have a reflective moment like six months into the year, like, okay, how many times has this term been negotiated. Oh, it's been actually been negotiated a lot and here's all the ways that we've negotiated it. Let's just make this the standard and then we can save ourselves a headache the next time that someone strikes it. So I, I think that's like really fascinating. Or, fascinating said, about if you, how... If you can,
1: yeah, if you can use your, your data from your CRM system and find out that actually we really didn't want to, to give on that because every time we gave on it, yeah, it caused some other problem that had some impact on revenue. There you then go. you have that too. Yeah. It's hey, may we are not find the right fit for our system because they may we're calling it too smaller companies or too bigger companies or something that you know this always becomes an issue.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think that's kind of like a, f- a fascinating second order type of analysis. Is like we know that like price and discounting impacts you know value and usage and kind of perception, right? How yep. how does how does that how does that relate to like a terms of service when someone is making outlandish demands and you're you're agreeing to it? Is it having a negative impact or is it having a positive impact? I think that's really fascinating.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I I think oftentimes it's a negative impact. You may get the deal, but it may be a deal you regret getting.
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: So yeah, it's that's salespeople don't think about that perspective often enough as like you know, that's sort of a a phrase I, I love to use is just just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Um, and it applies to certain deals you close. Just because you can close them doesn't mean you should. And oftentimes contract negotiations, unfortunately, coming later in the day are one of the ways you learn that. And so I, I would think and hope that one of the ways customers are using, your customers are using the system is yeah, get the agreements out there much earlier in the process, the sales process.
0: Yeah and and that's kind of like a tried and true thing it it's like it, if you believe that the conversation around a terms of service can happen earlier and earlier in the in the sales process and you're confident in sending you know the the, the most approved kind of terms of service earlier to start having that conversation uh it's only going to net the the outcome that you want in a faster uh, in a faster timeline than if you waited to the last moment and that's kind of core to my CRO Steve and, and his strategy. It's, he's got to negotiate against the ultimate negotiators that are our buyers, right? The general counsels. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if, if there's an indication that it, it, it could get serious into a buying process, it's like, who's going to review the terms? Will you review it? Can we pass it off to someone on your team? Like can we get this out ahead of waiting to the last moment? Because I know at the ends of months and quarters, they themselves are working on their their company's contracts for their customers to make their engine go, right? And so, how, how can we work on this efficiently, you know, where you can buy software um, and buy ours? So, yeah, it's um, believe it or not, sales folks, uh, the, uh, the legal team is here to help you know, if it's done correctly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I think, but that's, I didn't mean to laugh at it because when you have, if you're a salesperson, you have a legal team, in-house legal team, or you have in-house contracts team. If you're not trying to make them your best friend, instead of resisting it, if you're not trying to make them your best friend to take advantage to leverage their expertise in order to help you negotiate better contracts, negotiate better contracts faster, so that you can spend your time doing what you're best at, which is not negotiating, which is Bingo. hopefully selling. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not taking that step. If you're in sales, you've got a legal department, you've got a contract team, if you're not leveraging it, yeah, you're you're not helping yourself at all. Um, so, last thing I wanted to sort of talk about, because I'd come across this in one of your blog posts on your site, and I hadn't been paying attention to this, I, I should have been, is is this European Court of Justice uh, ruling, the Schrems 2 mm-hmm. ruling, um, pretty significant for people doing business in Europe. Um, it says that it struck down the privacy shield standard that allowed businesses to move data between the United States and the EU uh, without running of, of, you know, cross purposes with EU privacy law. It seems like a lot of companies probably have to be rewriting contracts.
0: Yeah, rewriting contracts. And, and I think it's kind of seen a trend, or like when the GDPR re- regulation mm-hmm. came out, that was kind of like the first triggering point. Uh, and then, you know, California, if you, if you think about them like their own country, they came up with their own um, privacy policy, and, and we
1: we and, are our own country out here. Just <laughs> Make sure people understand that fifth largest economy in the world. Just FYI. Okay, go ahead.
0: Yeah, there you go, there you go, and and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a trend, right? It's it's a trend, and I think there are other states that are trying to follow suit. I think with California as well, um, we're seeing we're seeing Brazil take a, a pretty hard stance on it too. Um, that's kind of like the latest thing that's been on the radar. It's like kind of following suit um, around privacy. And yeah, it's like, you know, what are what are the foundations of contracts? How were they negotiated historically? You know, did you agree that, you know, privacy shield would be maintained between between the you know, company A would maintain their privacy shield and and if they didn't, there was a right to terminate company B. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like a major thing, right? And and yeah. and and again, like coming back to like how are you going to solve this problem if you have 10,000 customer agreements, right? And surely reading all of them or paying your outside counsel 800 dollars an hour just can't be the best way to do it, right? And
1: so with your system, could you on sort of a blanket basis go across and, and create updated agreements with this yeah, you know, specific clause inserted in it? I,
0: well uh, taking a step back like you know, all right so you got 10,000 customer agreements they may or may not have the language okay so you set them up inside analyze or post signature product what do you get access to immediately you can run your own search queries right you can, you can type in privacy shield and see how many how many contracts have it mentioned right uh, and, mm-hmm. and immediately start focusing efforts on on all, all of these have to be amended immediately right the creation of an amendment, that that's like a, a smart legal person can do that in maybe like five minutes right to amend the contract to take that out right or or, or nullify that that kind of whatever contractual language.
1: But you don't want to do it ten thousand times, though. Uh,
0: yeah, you, you 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 may not want to. You may not want to do it ten thousand times. Um, we're we're really focusing on uh, in your existing contracts. Can you identify the ones that are at risk first and foremost? Because you got to got to put a bandaid on this as fast as you can, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And and then uh, the the other way to do it is uh, to to get access to an algorithm that can extract like a whole paragraph, data protection paragraph, right, or or data privacy paragraph that lives even unique to your contract and the way you wrote it, right? And and that, that algorithmic extraction technology uh, can serve you into like writing a better paragraph too and kind of guiding guiding the decision making. that's kind of that's kind of like the, the world that we play in right, right. Uh, w- We are then not like you know robotically reaching out and saying it's time for you to sign a new document. There's plenty of systems that can do that right um, We're really focused on can I get you access to the needles and the haystack you need to go find and um, and do it quickly.
1: Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, Vishal, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And if people wanted to find out more about Link Squares, how can they do that?
0: Oh, come visit us uh, at our website, LinkSquares.com. Uh, check us out on LinkedIn. We're pretty entertaining, uh, and we love to hear from you. All right.
1: Well, good. Well, Vishal, thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Andy.
1: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Vishal Sunak for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. Do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So, thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.